Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. Well, my goal this morning uh, is to talk about us, to talk about our relationship together. Uh, the Sunday before Valentine's Day, I thought it would be appropriate uh, and if you are visiting uh, this morning, you might be thinking, well, what have I just got myself into? Uh, we're going to have a define the relationship talk. It sounds like a really, really weird sermon topic. Actually, as you'll see in just a moment when we come to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 12 to 13, Paul picks up uh, the topic of the relationship between congregation leaders and congregation members. And in reflecting on the passage, I don't think I've ever actually heard a sermon on this topic. Now, I mean, that's, I've only one person and I've only heard so many sermons. Uh, I've heard a lot of sermons on church leader qualifications. I've preached a few sermons on, uh, you know, qualifications to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon uh, candidate. You know, we had Presbytery recently and examined a new pastor coming into our city. And uh, that is an occasion where you think a lot about the qualifications of leaders. Uh, but a, a sermon on the relationship between church leaders and members, uh, this is new territory, and I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> You, it's just someone asked me uh, between Sunday school and uh, and church, like, do you have a lot of one-liners planned for this sermon? I'm like, I, I never plan the one-liners. I say them and regret them later. So I'd be reluctant to broach the topic. Uh, and, and maybe that's why we don't hear sermons on the topic. Maybe pastors are reluctant to broach the topic, except that Paul identifies this relationship between leader and congregant as critical in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is what he says. These are the verses which are before us this morning. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And it is interesting that Paul begins and ends First Thessalonians uh, focusing on his relationship to this church, this church in kind of central North Greece. He says, we give thanks in chapter 1, verse 2, to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of affection between Paul and Silas and Timothy, the folks sending the letter and the Thessalonian church receiving the letter. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And then in the very closing words of the letter, brothers, pray for us. So the we and the us in those verses refer to Paul, Silas, Timothy, 
And yet in uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, Paul's focus is elsewhere. It's on the right there in Thessalonica leaders. And you can find other New Testament letters written by Paul to describe uh, church leaders as overseers, elders, deacons. Uh, he doesn't use that language here. It's quite possible that, you know, First Thessalonians being one of the first letters written in the New Testament, that that language hadn't exactly come online yet for the church. Uh, some of the latter letters of the New Testament to Timothy and Titus do use more formal language to describe clergy. But I think that it's fair for our purposes to think of leaders in a congregation as those recognized as having distinct leader responsibility. So yes, pastors, but also elders and deacons and others who are understood they have leadership responsibility. This might be your men's or women's group leader. This might be your student leader, uh, someone recognized by the congregation as having some spiritual interest in your welfare. And Paul's instruction uh, about how leaders and members relate is bigger than just the uh, relationship between the ordained clergy and the membership. So that's the first thing that I want you uh, to understand, that I'm not just talking about you and me or you and me and Pastor Chris, uh, but that it is leadership, I think, writ a little bit more large. And if we briefly reflect on the kinds of challenges uh, that this young congregation faced, it would help us understand why healthy relationships between leaders and members of a church are important. That's what church was facing external pressure. The more that the Roman world understood what Jesus was about, uh, the more the Roman world understood that Christians uh, were not just following a religion, but that they were claiming that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was claiming exclusive allegiance. The more the Roman world understood uh, that the allegiance of Christians was being directed away from the power structures of the Roman Empire and being directed towards the Lord Jesus, uh, the more they didn't like it. Uh, the more pressure the church faced, that Christians were following a whole different lordship, not the lord of government, but the lordship of Jesus. So there was external pressure, and we've identified that at different points along the way in the sermon, in the sermon series. There was economic pressure. People were losing their business relationships. There was social uh, pressure as people were losing their friendships. Uh, there's also, secondly, an internal need for maturity. That new life in Christ meant uh, that the Thessalonians were called to new habits of living. Uh, for instance, um, verse 4 of chapter 4, um, that uh, the Thessalonians were called that each of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So there was a new lifestyle that was being called to, new maturity that needed to happen within the church. Believers needed to be encouraged that uh, simply being who God had designed them to be, minding their own business, 
working with the gifts and talents that God had given to them was the right way to walk properly with outsiders. We had seen that grief had come and had struck the church, that some of the Christians had passed away, and and the surviving Christians needed to be taught and retaught to grieve differently, to grieve as people who had hope, to grieve uh, as people who knew that the resurrection of Jesus had street value for them, uh, that, that there was new life ahead. But it was going to take more than a letter from an apostle for them to walk through grief. Uh, it was going to take a real person. It was going to take real people to come alongside of them. And as we've seen just in the recent weeks, uh, the church needed to remind it that the king was returning, uh, that the king might return at any moment, but that his return was not predictable, and that the church needed to be reminded to live awake and alert and to not be intimidated by the apparent delay of Jesus. And so the, the members and the leaders were going to need each other. They're going to need each other to press on towards the day of the Lord in faith and we still need each other. We live in a world that is very similar. We live in a world where there is external pressure. We live in a world where there is internal need for maturity. That's the constant need of every growing Christian, uh, the need for maturity. Uh, We live in a world where grief happens. We live in a world where we can believe notionally that Jesus is returning Uh, but functionally, we're not sure how it's going to shape Monday morning. And so congregations and leaders are going to need each other. And so we need to absorb and apply what Paul says with respect to the leader's agenda and the church's affection. That's the two two points of the outline this morning, the leader's agenda and uh, the church's affection. And I would say that if you are willing Each point of the sermon presses into areas of American Christian living uh, that we don't often think about. So hang in there and and just be willing to be pushed a little bit, just a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. But let's start with the leader's agenda. So we're thinking leaders, pastors, but also elders, deacons, your group leaders. Uh, The leader's agenda emerges in verse 12 with the instruction to the church. We ask you, brothers, to the whole congregation to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. If you're a leader or if you are a younger Christian uh, who aspires to lead, which really should be the aspiration of every Christian, right? That we should aspire to lead, whether it's going to be in some formal capacity or whether it's simply in mentoring another Christian, you know, finding that, that Christian who just also needs someone to invest into their life, uh, that this is your agenda to work hard among the real people who are in front of you, to lead from a posture of care and to counsel towards health, all because of a goal which is established on a further horizon than we often think. So Paul says to respect those who labor among you. And his word choice is interesting, labor among. It's a word that describes demanding work, physical, mental, spiritual 
uh, tired work. Is that actually used in the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the Samaritan? Well, maybe you remember that story. Jesus has journeyed, and we read in the story that Jesus was weary as he was from his journey, sitting beside the well. Same word. Paul often describes ministry work as hard labor. Colossians 1, 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then in 1 Timothy and in chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so when we think about the the challenging points where leaders serve, leading a small group on top of your already busy lives, helping believers grieve with hope, reminding us to keep alertly alive for our returning king, in addition to everything else that we're doing in life, workplace labor, parenting labor, it's work. It's real work. And Paul says uh, to the congregation, honor those who labor among you. And it's this next point that really caught my attention this week because it's, it's real work, but it's also local work. It's local work. Now, at, at one level, this is obvious. Local church leaders do the hard work of serving local Christians. But what is obvious is also corrective. Uh, my pastor friend Jeff is fond of remembering us, particularly when we uh, walk and talk to younger pastors, but also it's, it's helpful for older pastors, which I guess I'm more in that crowd now. He says, you have to pastor the people who are in front of you. That Then you can uh, extrapolate this out to elder, to deacon, to small group. You have to, you have to shepherd the people who are in front of you. And I, this is a corrective notion, I think, in our day and age where we are so interconnected, where you can go on social media and you can learn about challenges which are far removed from you and which you have very little capacity to influence. Uh, or when you read, you know, Christian um, uh, news, for instance, and you read about things which are happening in different places, uh, it can be easy to get drawn into problems that aren't really yours and, uh, and to even opine about problems which you have no capacity or even responsibility directly to influence. And so it's important to remember that real ministry leadership is local. Now, we, we talk about this with um, younger pastors because uh, we observe that there is um, a desire to even build followings. And, and yet that's not just a young pastor problem. You know, all of us can feel that kind of tension. But who, who do you want to follow you? Followers from far away versus people who are local. Ministry is local. Some pastors will, of course, have broader reaching ministries. But for most church leaders, it's the group right in front of us uh, that is to occupy our attention. And he says, next to labor among you and who are over you 
in the Lord. This, is, uh, this expression proved to be more interesting than I thought it was going to be when I, when I started studying it on Monday morning. You're like, great, make it more interesting, Pastor Dave, and I will respect you and honor you as you tell me locally about this interesting word. The word over you can, of course, mean to lead direct rule, but, but it has a second meaning, which means to show concern or care for or aid. And I, I thought it was perceptive by one commentator. Uh, he's like, really, we ought to think about bringing those two definitions together, that, that you lead by caring, uh, that, that care is how you lead. So it's the hard work, it's the hard labor of caring by leading individuals, groups, congregations. This is the leader's agenda. Now, this does push back, and here the, the finger points more at people who might be in this kind of role, because, you know, we're all too sadly familiar with stories where uh, over you in the Lord has been used perhaps improperly, and we have encounters of, you know, leaders leading really for themselves uh, and for what they get out of it. But Paul is saying that, that you lead by caring over you in the Lord. And that story of the church, even back to New Testament days, includes stories of leaders using the role to gain power and position and followers. But that's not what Paul has in mind for our agenda. Because really what we're trying to do is counsel towards health. This was my attempt to paraf uh, paraphrase the word admonish. The leader's agenda to labor hard and lead from care means that sometimes the work will include admonishment. So admonish means to counsel to avoid a behavior uh, or to stop a behavior that is already existing. Do this, don't do that. Admonish. <laughs> the, the, the commentators uh, said there's, there's almost an allergic reaction to the idea of admonishment in the modern church. The idea that leaders would have as part of their responsibility to admonish. But what's really interesting is in the first century world that Paul is writing in, admonish was a principal role of a parent. That you were considered a good parent if you directed people to do things or to not do things. That you were considered a wise leader in a community if you directed people to do things or to not do things. So I don't think that we should be so afraid of the word admonish. Paul says in Acts 20 in his farewell speech to fellow elders, he says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years that I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And then to Corinth, he writes uh, to this church that is dividing over which leaders they liked best. He calls them back to the gospel message. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says that I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And so you see this dynamic at place uh, that this is counseling in order to care. It's not so much a gotcha methodology as much as a go this way or, or don't go this way. And, and here's why we've seen in 1 Thessalonians to this point that, that the horizon of the Christian life that Paul sets for the church is not a near horizon. 
I mean, it might be in any day horizon, but the, but the horizon that the church is to, to be considering is the horizon of the Lord's return. The, the horizon of that moment when the Lord uh, descends, when he brings with him the, the church which is preceded and meets the resurrected church and, uh, and enters into this forever new life in God's restored world, that that is the horizon for a church, that that is the horizon that leadership ministry sets itself on. And I think that that is important for us to keep in mind because so often our horizons for church life are, are immediate. Like what's happening right now? What is the important thing right here? And, and Paul says that the important thing that is happening right here is we remember that right here is not the end of the story. The important thing that's happening right here is that we are all pointing each other to a future. That, that there is a, a reality that we are moving towards because the king is risen and is returning and, and that we are leading locally and that we are caring and we are directing in order to get there. So that the, the final evaluative statement of, of any kind of church leadership whether it's pastoral leadership or elder deaconship or leadership or deacon leadership or your small group leadership, that, that, that the final evaluative moment is not Sunday morning next week, or, or, but it's when the church comes into glory. I, I, I'm reminded, I didn't look up the quote, and so I'm doing this from memory, but I'm reminded of the, the quote, from Samuel Rutherford, who is a name that some of you might remember anyway in Presbyterian church history, who uh, was a, a prodigious thinker and writer and also a local church pastor in the Scottish community. I'll pronounce it wrong, but Anwath. And, and he said, as he contemplated his pastoral ministry, that, that if he met any souls from Anwath in heaven, then heaven would be doubled in its joy. Because that's the evaluative moment. That's what we are after. So let me ask you, if that's the leader's agenda, to direct the church in that direction, if that's the agenda, then how does the church respond? I think the church responds, Paul says, with affection. I spend the, the first half of the message talking about the leaders. Paul's instruction is also for the led. If your leader, if your leader has your eternal happiness as his or her goal, think about this. If your leader has as her goal as she goes about planning women's ministry, the agenda for women's ministry for the coming year, as she invests in small group life for that year. If that agenda is nothing less than your eternal happiness, how are you going to respond to that person? If, if your elder is working to then maybe even entering into your life in a corrective way and says, I, I want you to live this way, not that way. 
But the reason that I want you to live this way and not that way is because I, I want you to be more happy in heaven than you could ever be because you've, you've finished the race. If that is your leader's agenda, how would you respond to that person? Well, Paul says, we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Respect, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace. Now, you know, of course, the, the risk in a sermon like this is that you're thinking, well, what does Dave want out of this sermon? <laughs> Do you remember in Star Wars Return of the Jedi when C-3PO got carried around on a throne by the Ewoks? <laughs> it's, not, it's not what I want. What do I want? <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to preach this sermon from, from what I feel is a deficit of these things. Just so we're clear. If we're, if we're having a relational talk, you know, in view of Valentine's, I'm like, well, now what should I get him for Valentine's Day? I mean, did you see in the West Virginia movie, the aprons that said, have you hugged a Presbyterian today? Did you see the people wearing that? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think what I want is for us to understand these words because they, they push back, I think, in helpful ways against kind of a, a leveling egalitarianism that exists in American culture that, that gets in the way of pastoring. Uh, that... that you know, that, that anybody with an internet connection will know better than the pastors how to pastor. And, and, and I guess what I really, I mean, if you're asking me what I really, tell me what you want. There's a song, isn't there? Don't do that either. Um, is, is, is just as, as we go through this race together, we need to understand what Paul is saying, and that is that the relationship between the leader and the led is very important for your finishing of the race. And there is, I think, a, a great emphasis in American church culture. This is just anecdotal, just my observation. I could be completely wrong, but there is a great emphasis on starting the race. There's a great emphasis on how many people can you get into the race? How many people does it look like who are in your race? But it seems to me that the New Testament emphasis is on both things. It's on getting into the race, but also finishing the race. And that local church leadership goes much in the direction of finishing the race. And so these things relationally are going to be very important if we're to work together in finishing the race. So esteem them very highly. It, it actually gets towards potentially embarrassing uh, it, to tell you the full force of what Paul means when he says, esteem them very highly. His word choice for very highly means quite beyond all measure. 
quite beyond all measure. And he uses the word two other times in his writing. He's already used it once in 1 Thessalonians to describe the intensity of his praying that he might be reunited with his friends in 1 Thess 3 and verse 10. As we pray most earnestly, same word, day and night, that we may be able to see you face to face. And the other place that he uses it, and here's where it gets really crazy, is he uses it to describe God's exceedingly great capacity to answer prayer. Now to him, and you like these words when we use them as the benediction. Now to him, you can say them, right? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, far more abundantly, most earnestly. That's the kind of esteem that Paul says the church is to have for its leaders. So, so how is this relevant today? And here, I, I'm not speaking so much autobiographically, but I am speaking uh, as, as a guy who has friends who pastors and who spends time with young pastors. Did you know that as of March 2022, that the percentage of pastors who've considered quitting full-time ministry was at 42%. 42%. of pastors in America are thinking about chucking the whole thing. Do you know why? The the top two reasons, the immense stress of the job and the loneliness of it. Not preaching, not leading groups, not serving at weddings or funerals or all of the things that, that look difficult but are actually a, a privilege, but the relational side of being in church. Esteem them very highly. In love, not grudging respect or out of obligation to the office holder, but out of love. What, what could be more loving than when a small group leader gives up his couple of free nights a month to invest in you finishing the race well, to grow in love for other believers, to grow in holiness, to point you so that you can be blameless on the last day? What could be more loving than when your student leader gets together with you and says, I I want you to be able to stand blameless before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when he comes in judgment. What could be more loving than that? Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is interesting. Paul's goal for these Christians, which is to become the motivation for these leaders, is for them to grow in love for each other, for their neighbors, to be established in blamelessness and holiness before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is what motivates the work. This is then in return what motivates our esteeming leaders in love. If your leader's agenda is for you to finish the race, to break the tape, 
to come into rest before the risen Christ and then to be raised with a new body alive again forever to God's glory and to your forever happiness. If you have a leader who has this for his or her agenda, how would you respond even to admonition? I mean, we're willing to pay good money to to a guy to show us how to swing a golf club. Uh, and, and the guy or, or the, the lady says, don't hold the club that way, hold the club that way. And if you hold the club that way, uh, you'll be 10% more accurate. And you're like, well, that's great. So I'll be 10% closer to getting out of the rough. But still, you know, here's, here's my money. Thank you for admonishing me how to swing my club. How would you respond to your leader if your leader kept pointing you back to the cross? If, if, if your leader kept saying, look, you, you will stand blameless before the Lord on the final day because Christ took your blame at the cross, that you need not fear death because Christ has died for you, that you can grieve with hope because Christ is risen, that you can face tomorrow, whatever tomorrow is going to be like, because at one point in history, there's going to be no more tomorrows. The Lord is going to return that that's going to motivate our love. If that, that is the work which is to motivate our response to our leaders. And then be at peace among yourselves. It's interesting. Paul, this is the first of a series of commands. Be at peace among yourselves. It's a command. God through the cross has brought us to peace with him. If God has brought you to peace with him and me to peace with him. And if I am connected to Christ and you are connected to Christ, then we ought to be at peace with each other. But as often happens in families, marriages, or close friendships, we get most frustrated with the people that we know best. And it's interesting, I mean, this church in Thessalonica must have been a tiny church. And they were facing actual hardship from the Roman Empire. And they were actually losing their jobs. And what does Paul say? Be at peace with each other. You're going to need each other. Get each other's backs. Christians losing jobs, friendships, relationships. And the command is still be at peace among yourselves. What about us? If not NPC, then what about the American church? Uh, Of that 42% of pastors who want to quit, 38% of the pastors are considering leaving ministry because of current political divisions. Be at peace. Be at peace. Be at peace with each other. This must not be. And it, it need not be. Because the horizon of ministry is established by the Apostle Paul with absolute clarity. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words.
the leader's agenda, the church's affection, a command to press forward in peace. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.